Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of October 1st, 2020, including Doom Eternal is coming to Xbox Game Pass, people been bitching about the crunch in the games industry again, and Exile is working on another RPG title, and more. some serious neck pain upper back pain i guess neck pain the past week it's just been weird it's been moving around to different parts of my shoulder and my neck and all that and i'm not looking for sympathy it is what it is it's going away it's it's getting a little better but i'm only bringing this up to say that today i'm recording with one of those neck pillows around my neck you know like the ones you you use when you're on an airplane and i just i just feel kind of funny you know having this around my neck but it is helping me kind of straighten out kind of get those muscles straightened out and just I don't know, hopefully make everything heal and go back to normal a little faster. But I was thinking how funny it is to wear this. This is a little neck pillow I picked up at the Disneyland Hotel a few years ago on my trip to California to see nothing but Disneyland because why else would you go to California? But I was thinking, you know, how funny is it that I'm just sitting here podcasting about Xbox for like an hour or two wearing this stupid neck pillow that, you know, you associate with like long flights. And I thought... Xbox flights, flight simulator. And then I realized, you know, whenever Microsoft flight simulator comes to Xbox series X, I think it would really add to the immersion, the whole experience of the game. If I wore this neck pillow while I play and I know normally like, you know, the neck pillow is like something for the passenger. The pilot's probably not wearing a neck pillow. I don't fucking care. I want to simulate what it's like to be on an airplane as much as possible. I don't even know that I'll be piloting that plane when I finally get my hands on that game. But I think it will really add to the immersion. You know, some people, they get like the really elaborate setups with the flight sticks and all that, and they get into the really technical, nerdy control schemes. But I've never seen anyone include a neck pillow in their in their flight sim rig. And I just think that would be a really cool way to add to the immersion and the theming of flying. So, uh, you know, just throwing that out there in case maybe you're interested in, in uh, spicing up your Microsoft Flight Simulator experience. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to trying that out. Otherwise, guys, let me just be super honest and preface this week with, you know, we're coming off the back of like a couple, two weeks back to back of like, hey, we bought we bought Bethesda. Here's the pre-orders. Here's the price information. Here's the reveal on the series. You know, the Series S. Here's PlayStation spilling the beans on all the PS5 shit. So it's been a packed couple of weeks uh, between Microsoft and Sony just finally going all out on their new consoles. But now that, you know, the bulk of the information's out there, the pricing, the pre-orders have been done, everything's out there and accounted for, we find ourselves in this lull. So this is a very slow and Monday news week. There aren't a lot of stories. There's not nothing too groundbreaking happening, but we will go onward uh, as we do. So we might focus a little more on the comments this week, maybe linger on some, some BSing. If that's not really your thing... Uh, feel free to just shut this week's podcast off. I'm sorry. I mean, we're going to go through the news. There are a handful of news stories, um, but I just I just want to preface with, you know, this is this this week's episode is going to pale in comparison to the past few weeks, just in terms of the sheer amount of amazing, you know, just massive, colossal news that we've been getting as of late. So just want to set the expectation and 
if you do decide, you know, well, maybe I'll opt out this week. It's it's a slow news week. He's going to be talking a lot, probably about the food and the and the video in the in the in the in the Pepsi versus Mountain Dew shit. Maybe that I don't need to be here for that. That's fine. Uh, but please do make sure to leave me a five star review anyway on your way out the door. Uh, iTunes seems to be a very popular platform for you know reviewing and things like that. So five stars on iTunes. Compliment my hair, my my knowledge of Xbox, uh, and just. You know, just make things up. If you can't find anything nice to say, just make up something. Tell them I can do like a backflip or some shit. I don't care. Um, but thank you for your understanding. Now, let's let's move in. Before before we jump directly into comments, I do want to get something out of the way. You know, a lot of our comments tend to not be so much Xbox related as we like to derail things and talk about things like tacos. But uh, one definitely related to Xbox thing I'd like to just get out of the way. I didn't put this in the show notes as as like a news story because I wanted to address at the top and just be like, come on guys. But you, you've been seeing the rumors going around and, and I've been following, you know, my Twitter feed, man, so, so much prefacing, but my, my Twitter feed for the past, I'd say five years has been pretty heavily theme park stuff. You know, that's kind of been my thing. I don't have many like real life people to enjoy my, my hobby of theme parks with. So, you know, forums like Twitter have really been my kind of escape to, see what other theme park related, you know, theme park enthusiast people had to say and what they think. But, you know, in the past year or so, as Xbox ons kind of continue to take off or become a big part of my life. And as I've realized that the theme park community is disgusting and toxic and full of awful people I want nothing to do with, I've kind of shied away from that. And I've watched my, my social media feeds in general, but particularly my Twitter feed kind of transform into a more general, like eclectic mix of other interests. And so the theme park stuff's taken a backseat, but I've really seen a lot of this Xbox stuff come to the forefront. I, I used to never really follow anyone in the games industry about Xbox or any like, you know, fans of Xbox. And what I'm realizing, and and I'm sure this is exacerbated by the fact that 2020 is a a, a console generation, you know, hardware launch year, but Wow, the not just Xbox. This isn't a slight at Xbox fans. This is a slight at just fans in general or or the community in general. But like, I didn't realize how much petty bullshit console war shit was still out there. Again, I, I, I'm sure a lot of this is attributed just to the fact that this is a you know a year where we're getting new new hardware. But god damn, man! Like, I'm just I'm kind of already fed up with the the Xbox and the video game kind of internet personalities and in Twitter people just as much as I was already fed up with the theme park people that I've, that I've been kind of rolling back on and unfollowing as of late. And I mean, but what that probably speaks to more so is just what a miserable piece of shit platform Twitter is, but it is also raising my, the, the, the awareness, raising awareness to me that these fans are kind of awful. And, uh, I, I'm, I just see like all these rumors thrown around and misinterpretations and intentional like I don't know just misuse of like Phil Spencer's words here and there to be like oh Xbox is doing this PlayStation sucks because of that and like I saw this article today like some some prominent Xbox Twitter guy was pushing about how like Bethesda's games are definitely going to be console exclusive on Xbox because there's like some Xbox Wire article that didn't mention PlayStation I'm like guys look at your your source it's Xbox Wire why would they be you know, mentioning PlayStation that. So I, I, all this is just to say, like, I'm, I'm already a little fed up with this, with this community shit. So I'm going to try to use this podcast. You know, we like to joke. I like to 
kind of pretend that we're like it's us versus them you know but but in reality i don't i don't give a shit where you play your games man i, I like xbox and i podcast about xbox because it's my thing it's just something i like you know you're welcome to be here if, if, if you feel the same way and if you're a diehard like xbox tattooed guy who's like you know you you, you spit in the face of playstation owners that's that's something you got to work on, man, because that's just not cool. So I don't know. In this, I don't even know where this is coming from. This is way too much of a, a preface for what I'm actually about to bring up. But like, just so many false rumors flying around. So I had to address, just because this one's getting so much traction, because it's really disappointing. Because it's not even remotely true, but I would love for it to be true. But there's all these rumors going around about Xbox buying Sega. Now, I know that as soon as the Tokyo Game Show presentation was over this past week, like, those rumors died immediately. But, like, the whole thing about, like, they have a blue controller that's pretty much the same shade of blue as the Sega logo. It's, like, it's if you're trying to be funny, that's funny. Like, I, I, I think that's funny. But if people are actually trying to connect dots here and try to, like, break news and, and, and uncover the truth of what Microsoft is doing, you're being ridiculous. Microsoft in no way is interested in buying Sega. And some of you commented about this and had conversations, and I didn't include any of those conversations because, again, it's just this just isn't a news story. I'm just bringing this up to say, like, hey, I acknowledge you. I know people have been talking about this a lot, but it's just not it's not a thing. Microsoft's not buying Sega. It would first of all, listen. Let me let me because because I'm the king of prefacing and uh, and and just having these tangents. I don't know many people who give a shit about Sega anymore because they've they've they're it's a brand it's a publishing arm in gaming that's just fallen to such obscurity or or just irrelevance in in the minds of gamers over the over the past few years or over the past maybe 15 years. But I'm one of the few fuckboys you're gonna meet who actually is a Sega fanboy. Like I hold on to like Sega nostalgia and I've kind of re- retroactively gotten like really into a lot of Sega stuff that I just wasn't really around for, you know, during my childhood. And I, I, I love Sega. I have a soft spot. And you guys know I'm kind of one of those creepy guys that's like really into Sonic and plays all the Sonic the Hedgehog games. Like I love Sega. I, I recently got into the Yakuza games earlier this year. That's kind of my new shit. Like Sega is a good company. I have a lot of love for them. And I think it'd be so cool if, if Sega joined the Xbox family, if only for the fact that, you know, a lot of people might not realize this, but Sega and Microsoft actually have a, a long history together. So much in the way that like Bethesda kind of makes sense for the Xbox brand because of their history with Xbox and with Microsoft, uh, Sega actually kind of has a similar thing where like you could run, I, I don't remember what it was, like Windows CE or Windows 90. There was, there was a version of Windows that you could run on the Sega Dreamcast back in the day. And Microsoft worked with Sega on that console. And then when Sega was going under, they partnered with Xbox quite a bit, or with Microsoft rather, quite a bit during those early days of the the development on the original Xbox. A lot of prominent people that worked at Sega went over to Microsoft to work on the original Xbox. Uh, There were a lot of Dreamcast games that got poured over to Xbox. You might remember Shenmue was... Shenmue originally got its sequel in the West only on Xbox. And there's just... There was a lot of like this kind of buddy-buddy stuff between Microsoft and Sega back back in those early Xbox, late Sega Dreamcast days. So there there is like a precedent for the two companies. And, and Sega, Sega really supported the hell out of Microsoft and Xbox back in the early days of the original console. So there's definitely a history there. Uh, but I, I think, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a thing from a time and place. It's not always been there. Like if you look, look at Sega as they kind of matured or as they kind of, distance themselves from console manufacturing and just being a, a games publisher as especially as you get into like the Xbox 360 Wii generation where like you know Sega's the bulk, the bulk of their shit they've been doing since those days has been like 
on Nintendo. If anything, ironically enough, Sega's really buddied up with Nintendo, which is so funny because obviously they were arch rivals famously throughout the 90s and whatnot. But I don't know. So it's like, I guess if you really want to make a stretch, there is this history between Sega and Xbox. And we know that Sega and Xbox have a, a decent relationship now with this partnership for Fantasy Star and all these things. And I know that's one of the Japanese publishers that, you know, Phil Spencer's making strides with in, in, in his efforts to get more uh, of the Japanese market turned on to the Xbox brand. So it's not that this is completely unfounded. Like, there's just no room for this. And, and you, but, but think about it like this guys, like there's just no reason for Microsoft to acquire Sega. Think about the, the, the valuable IP that Sega owns. It's like, sure. Yakuza is good, but it's like, it's big in Japan. It's okay internationally. And it's kind of a niche thing overall. And then like Sonic the Hedgehog is undoubtedly their biggest IP. And like I said, I'm a huge Sonic the Hedgehog fan. Like I go, I, I go like nuts for a fucking new Sonic game. If they announce a new Sonic game tomorrow, that that will be the most excited I am about any game save for like Halo Infinite. So it's just that's how big a Sonic fan I am and how I know it's weird to be that way. But like even then, I still don't see why Microsoft would buy Sega because we all know Sonic's kind of a joke of a brand. And even though he has a successful movie that just came out and he's still a profitable, you know, gaming IP and still is merchandisable. It's like no one looks at Sonic and is like, oh, that's one of those timeless characters that everyone loves to death. Like Mario, it's people look at Sonic and they're just like, look at how they've mismanaged you. And, and, and don't get me wrong. Sonic as a character is a great character who is like a, a instant classic character, but Sega has mismanaged that property so much for so long. that it's like, it's just like, what, what the fuck? Like it's, Sonic is, is famous now for a meme. Like there are generations of kids growing up who know Sonic not because they played the games, but because they know the memes and they know what a joke of a franchise Sonic is. So like, you know, that's their most valuable IP and it makes no fucking sense for the brand. Not, not to mention that, you know, platformers and things like that, character platformers aren't really as lucrative and as important as they were like 20 years ago. So there's no real need for Microsoft to, to have something like a Sonic in their, in their arsenal. And then, then you look and then, you know, there's the big one that I'm missing out here, which is that, Sega owns Atlas, which is, you know, the the developer behind the Persona games. And those are massively successful games. The they make the Shin Megami Tensei games and the and the Persona games and those are all exclusive to Nintendo and Sony hardware. So actually those those games don't even come to Xbox, which is ironic enough, but but the only the only benefit I could see to Microsoft ever potentially buying Sega would be the acquisition of Atlas just because their brands and their games do sell very well and are very well respected. Other than that, it's like, what do you fucking want from Sega? You want uh, Alex Kidd and 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 Flicky and and uh, Crazy Taxi and all this shit. Like I I don't again. I don't get me wrong. I love Sega. Sega has plenty IP that I think are are great games and great characters and all that. But there's just no, there's nothing about Sega that's like so valuable. That's like yeah, I think we can we can muster up another like I don't know what whatever it would cost like. $2 billion or whatever to buy Sega. It's just, it just, it doesn't make any fucking sense. I don't think it's going to happen in any way, shape or form. And I, it seems like most of the community has largely dropped this rumor since Tokyo game show kind of came and went. So looks like that's not even a conversation anymore, but I just wanted to address that guys. Like there's just, you know, Bethesda makes sense. Bethesda has insanely popular brands. They have fallout. They have doom. They have elder scrolls. Sega has like Sonic 
in some like niche Japanese things. It's like it's not the same thing. It, what you, you gonna do that like Puyo Puyo crap or whatever? They don't even make that. I don't even fucking know. Like, what do you want Sega for? Just chill the fuck out, guys. Microsoft's not buying Sega. Now, would I be a happy camper if I were wrong and that happened? Of course. I would love to to welcome Sonic the Hedgehog into the same family as Marcus Phoenix and Master Chief, but you know, that's that's not the world we live in. So let's just try to be realistic about that. Now, the other thing I wanted to bring up was before we get into the comments is that, you know, today I was on my way to work and there's this road I take on my way to work where I had to drive it for about 10 miles. It's a long road and it's kind of like this tourist corridor where you pass a lot of hotels and restaurants and attractions and things like that. And so there's a lot of chain restaurants along the way. And I, I and I drove by a Denny's and I was just kind of thinking to myself, I'm like, ah, Denny's is one of those places like I don't have a lot of experiences there. Like I know what Denny's is, but like we just didn't have a whole lot of them back home when I lived in Georgia. So I'm like, I, I, I'd like to go to a Denny's again someday, you know, if there's ever a post-COVID world where I can trust a shitty chain diner, you know. And then I immediately passed an IHOP. I'm like, oh, that makes sense, you know, if you're thinking about like, Denny's and IHOP are competitors, so you probably want to strategically have a Denny's and an IHOP kind of near each other so they can compete, kind of like how you always have, like, a McDonald's and a Burger King close by or something like that. I don't know. And then uh, I get a few more miles down the road, and I see another Denny's. I'm like, what the what the fuck? We just passed a Denny's. I'm like, and now there's a Denny's here. And then right past that Denny's was another IHOP. And I'm like, holy shit, there's just Denny's and IHOP everywhere. And the subliminal messaging of, of these classic American diner chains just had me thinking to myself, you know, I have limited experience with Denny's, but I remember that I like Denny's because I like the menu. I like the brand. I like the colors, something about Denny's, the yellow and the red. I'm just a fan of it. And it got me thinking, you know, what brand do people prefer? What restaurant chain is better? Is it is it Denny's or IHOP? Who is the superior American shitty chain breakfast kind of diner location for, for all you guys? And, and to all of our international listeners, I have no fucking clue if either of these brands exist internationally. I assume they probably do. I don't know. But let, let just let me know. So pardon pardon me if you're not familiar with IHOP or Denny's. But I'd like to know where you where you fall. Now, I've had IHOP many, many times. I've had IHOP plenty of times in my life. In fact, my, my childhood best friend, his father was a manager at an IHOP. So we used to, like, in middle school, like, ride our bikes all the way to his dad's IHOP to get free food. And so, like... I have very fond memories of IHOP. Not only do I enjoy the food and find their quality to be quite consistent, but I have just fond childhood memories of hanging out with my best friend there and just, you know, I spent a weird amount of time in in IHOPs. You know, it's like a, it's just one of those places where it's like just an unusual amount of my childhood was spent in this in this chain diner brand. But nonetheless, I, I just have to know, where do you fall? Are you an IHOP guy? Do you like the pancakes? And the focus on the breakfast, or are you a Denny's guy where you like to have the breakfast on the menu, but you like the focus to be more on a all-around diner type environment? Both both chains offer non-breakfast related items, but I feel like Denny's really puts the emphasis on like, hey, you can get whatever you want here. You in the mood for a cheeseburger? You want some pot roast? Get get that shit at Denny's. Whereas IHOP's like, yeah, you can get the country fried steak if you want, but you're here from some some pancakes and bacon and shit like that. So. I'd just like to know, where do you fall on the IHOP versus Denny's uh, conversation? Are you, are you, do you have any, any comments about consistency or quality or cleanliness? I know these are hot, hot button topics in regards to these kinds of chain restaurants. 
especially these late night kind of places. So I'd be interested to see what you all have to say about that. So with that said, we'll jump into our comments for the week. Sarugi is going to get the top spot because I haven't heard from that guy in a while. And and I guess I'm just playing favorites, but Sarugi says Pepsi is all Pepsi is and always will be better than Coke. Pepsi Blue was the shit back in my high school days. With over 60 comments on a podcast put out a day early, and he's referring to last week's show, it's great to see this culinary podcast continuing to grow. Keep up the great work, my man. Thank you, Sarugi. Welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure to see uh, see your name in the comments section, which is turning more into a, a sea of comments. As Yeah, last week, as, as you kind of mentioned here, I don't know what happened. The comments kind of blew up. A lot, a lot of you guys were commenting in. Now, of course, as I mentioned on Twitter, a handful of the comments are some people mo- commenting multiple times, which I'm, I'm cool with. I appreciate any kind of feedback. I appreciate any participation. I think it's awesome that you'd you'd comment more than once and you'd participate that much in the show. I really appreciate your time and participation and just being a part of this this conversation. And then a lot of it's also, you know, spam, bot comments, things like that. You know, those sexy naked girls that keep commenting about how they love us all. They keep saying, hi, boys, and do you like me and things like that. So... I understand those all kind of add in here, but I think when all is said and done, we had like something between like 60 and 80 comments on last week's show on YouTube. So a big thank you to all of you guys for being a part of that. That's really awesome to me. I know we've had some big, big stories these past few weeks. So podcast analytics are probably up a little bit. I don't know. I haven't been looking at the numbers, but I definitely appreciate you guys being so engaged in, in participating in the show. And now Surugi, not to shy away from the most important part of your comment here, which is that not only do you think Pepsi is better than Coke, which is the correct answer, but you mention Pepsi Blue. You say Pepsi Blue was the shit back in my high school days. Thank you so much, Sarugi, for mentioning Pepsi Blue. So for those who don't remember, Pepsi Blue was a limited time Pepsi flavor that was around. I think they did two runs of it. They did it. It was in the it was in like the late 90s and then again in the early 2000s. Maybe just the early 2000s. I don't quite remember, but yeah, here we go. The the wiki, the Pepsi Wiki fandom website says first released in 2001. No, just kidding. First released in August of 2002, and then later discontinued in May of 2004. Now, I thought it was. I didn't realize it made it outside North America, but it looks like it kind of did. It made it. It made its way even to China, Malaysia, and Philippines. So it, it it made its way around the world. Now, now for those who don't remember the flavor profile, you're thinking, isn't Pepsi a cola? What the fuck was the flavor? of 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 Pepsi Blue. Now Pepsi Blue was literally a, like a blue colored Pepsi soda. So it was a blue cola. Don't get me wrong about that. Like this isn't like it's called blue but it looks like a, a like a dark caramelly colored cola like most soda like most colas like your Coke and Pepsi. But no, this was a berry flavored Pepsi. And you know, the description here on the Wiki fandom page says it had hints of raspberries and an aftertaste of cotton candy. Now, I don't remember it that well to to, to speak to how how accurate those specific descriptors are, but I, I got to be honest, I remember Pepsi Blue so vividly, or or just rather like my experience of having Pepsi Blue. I remember getting it at the local grocery store as a kid and my mom buying it for us and me and my brothers kind of going nuts about like this cool new novel Pepsi flavor. And I, I just, I don't, again, I don't remember the specific flavor profile or how much it tasted like berry or cotton candy or whatever the fuck. I just remember being just so enamored with the color and just thinking what a, what a fun idea for a soda. And it just being one of those weird like childhood treats or, or kind of things of, 
that of a bygone era that you, you know, like a snack or a drink or something from a time that no longer exists that just really stuck with me through my whole life. And I mean, can you be surprised? I'm the fucking guy who collects every limited edition flavor of Mountain Dew there is. So obviously this is kind of the thing that would be right up my alley. But nonetheless, Pepsi Blue is just a really weird and specific special memory. I just very vividly remember where I was in in my childhood home in in the kitchen with my brothers like uh, talking about this Pepsi Blue getting all into it I think I remember the Britney Spears commercial I believe I believe the ad for it had Britney Spears and and she was dancing or something and then she drank a Pepsi Blue the thing I'm trying to get at here is just that uh what a great callback Pepsi Blue was as I remember it being the absolute shit and I'm uh I'm glad you were able to experience it and remember it in in grace us all in, in on Xbox on here today with uh with your memories of Pepsi Blue. So shout out to Pepsi Blue. Shout out to Pepsi in general just uh just the overall superior cola brand and you know it's okay. I'm again, just same thing as the the Xbox versus PlayStation thing. If you're a PlayStation guy, which I know most of you probably aren't cuz you're listening to an Xbox podcast, but if you're a PlayStation guy, that's cool, man. I respect, I respect you agree to disagree. I don't get into this whole, like, you know, I'm a, this, you're that thing. Like I I don't get into that in the sense of like, I think you're evil. If you're not on my team or my side, you can like Coke or, or Republicans or PlayStation or whatever the fuck it is out there. You know, that that's your thing. That's totally cool. As long as you're being kind to others, that's, that's great. But I gotta, I gotta be honest here. Like let's Coke, Coke kind of sucks when it comes to fun flavors. Like that's not to say Coke doesn't have fun alternative flavors like vanilla Coke, cherry Coke, two alternative Coke flavors that are still around to this day. Pretty solid. I would never go out of my way to get one, but they're pretty solid soda flavors. But you know, Coke's kind of boring when it comes to fun shit. Like they they'll just be like, yeah, we got a, we got a Coke with lime. We got Coke with lemon. We got a Coke with lemon lime. I think it's just Sprite and Coke now. And they kind of get all like, basic they're, they're a little they're, they played safe with their shit and then they go so hard into their diet coke line which of course we all know diet soda isn't real soda it's actually just battery acid that's no good we don't want that but you know pepsi on the other hand they go nuts you know pepsi's like just the other like a year ago they were doing like this limited line of of new pepsi flavors and like here's pepsi with berry in it here's pepsi with mango in it i'm like fuck yeah we got these tropical fruits in our pepsi and the and they'll be like i think one year like five years ago one summer they did like a pepsi with like a twist of cinnamon and wasn't good at all but they're just like yeah we got the balls to do it we'll put we'll put a fucking a fuckload of cinnamon in your pepsi yeah why not and i i really respect that pepsi co pepsi co like the parent company is just so daring and willing to get get out there and 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 try the flavors that you know companies like Coke that are a little samey and a little safe are otherwise too afraid to do. So you know, I wherever you fall in the argument, I know most people are Coke people. Most people listening are probably like Coke over Pepsi, whatever. Let, let's just give Pepsi credit where credit's due. They they try shit. You guys ever try Crystal Pepsi? Another like Pepsi Blue era limited time drink, but they actually brought it back on and off a couple times over the past few years. Crystal Clear Pepsi. I, I think the flavor is like mildly different, uh, but I loved Crystal Pepsi. What a what a fantastic soda, guys. Come on. Just a moment of silence for Crystal Pepsi and Pepsi Blue. 
All right, our next comment here comes from OG Madman, who says, Jesse, last week you were talking about it, so I thought I'd let you know, but I found Mountain Dew Livewire here in Texas, and it's pretty good. Still like Voltage better, though. OG Madman, I don't I don't know if that's your first time trying Livewire, but I'm very, first of all, I'm, I'm very grateful that, you know, those comments I, I made about Livewire would lead you to get out of your comfort zone and try something new, and I'm glad you liked it. So thank you for giving that a try. Shout out to, to Mountain Dew Livewire, which seems to be alive and well in Texas. I'm always a fun, always fun to learn that you know these kind of more fringe Mountain Dew flavors that exist in random corners of the U.S. are still finding their ways into people's local convenience stores, regardless of, regardless of uh, their, you know, despite the fact that they're they're increasingly harder to find nowadays. But uh, you you say that you like Voltage better. For those who don't know, Voltage is the default blue Mountain Dew, like the not limited edition one. It's like the almost tastes like Mountain Dew energy drink kind of. It's uh, I'll be honest. Voltage is a fantastic flavor. In fact, I, I think I agree with you. Voltage is a better flavor than Livewire, but Voltage was always easy to find growing up because it was just a readily available in all the grocery stores around me. So Voltage, you know, when it won its first, when it won where it wasn't a democracy flavor, it was I believe it was the first permanent Mountain Dew flavor introduced after Code Red and Livewire. I think it was Classic, Diet, Code Red, Livewire, then Voltage, and that doesn't include some limited edition flavors. But nonetheless, Voltage was like an early to mid-aughts flavor that was permanently introduced into the lineup, and I think it's a very good flavor. I love Mountain Dew Voltage. Actually, that's not true. Mountain Dew Voltage was the first democracy flavor. It beat out Supernova. You guys don't need to know this. This is this is really weird shit that no one should know about. But Mountain Dew Voltage um, is yeah, it was the first democracy winner, and it was a fantastic flavor. And I just I had a lot growing up. It's actually the official drink of Halo Three to me because even though there was a Mountain Dew Game Fuel made to market alongside the release of of Halo Three, Live or Mountain Dew Voltage is the drink I remember just having the most when I would play Halo 3 in general throughout its first few years of, of, of life. And so Voltage and, and Halo 3 kind of just go hand in hand together for me. I, lo- I love that very soft spot in my heart for Mountain Dew Voltage. But last week we had to give the the attention, the shout out to Livewire, which is just, you know, that orange Mountain Dew that's just hard to find, just increasingly hard to find. Not as hard to find, of course, as Mountain Dew Whiteout, which is the second Democracy winner introduced permanently to the lineup in 2009. And, um, it's just the best soda ever made, but of course it's been since been discontinued in the southeast here where I live. So you have to you have to live somewhere in like the flyover state or somewhere in the Midwest or some shit like that to find it. So if you happen to live in one of those states, good for you. You can have whiteout, but I can't. Uh, and also shout out to my friend Hunter who listens to the show who who found some Mountain Dew Livewire earlier this week at a at, at a store and texted me about it. Just thinking of me, looking, being a good guy, looking out for me, helping me get my Mountain Dew fix. So, appreciate all the Pepsi and Mountain Dew related comments, and and you guys know how much that means to me. So, probably probably gonna just turn this podcast into a Mountain Dew podcast at some point, and uh, eh, I'd say we're halfway there already. So, thank you for writing in about that. Let's let's jump into some Xbox related information now, if we must. So, Count Scottula says. Locked down an Xbox Series X for myself and a Series S for my brother. I was stressing, though. Pepsi is so much better than Coke, as a side note. Thank you. Thank you so much, Count Scottula. And then you say, but 
I see this is why I like Xbox people. I, I knew you guys are good people. You, you like the Pepsi more than the Coke. You say Bethesda picking Bethesda pickup made my week. That was incredible. I don't think these Bethesda games will go all to PlayStation. I think they'll be experimenting with exclusives and multi-plat releases and crunching the numbers. However, I truly believe most unannounced sequels and new IPs from Bethesda Studios will be Xbox ecosystem. Skyrim Online probably go everywhere. Doom 3, Starfield, Fallout 5 will be Xbox PC only. And that sort of thing. Also, by the time most of these games release, cloud gaming will be everywhere. Web browsing, Mac, Windows, smart TVs, streaming sticks, and Phil can say you can go play it there. One last prediction before launch, Assassin's Creed and Dirt 5 go to Game Pass for console launch. Honestly, all the Ubisoft games getting a massive advertising push for Xbox. I would melt if they announced Uplay coming to Game Pass. Still think Halo multiplayer beta on Horizon on the horizon as well. So that's a lot to unpack there. You got a lot of bold predictions. Uh, the one that the thing that stood out to me the most was of course your shout out to Pepsi, but let's, let's jump, let's dissect a little bit of what you're saying here. Now, a lot of you wrote in about this Bethesda deal, obviously with that being such an exciting and out of left field kind of announcement, there's just so much to think about and fixate on and talk about. So, so we'll, we'll get into some comments about that. But yeah, you say here that you you seem to have kind of a more popular take on 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 this from what I've been seeing, which is that Bethesda will will cherry pick kind of what goes exclusive to console and what goes multiplat. And I and I know a lot a large part of what determines how people feel about this has to do with Phil Spencer's comment where he said you know it's kind of a case by case thing. And so I I'm there with you. I I definitely think at some point there will be a Bethesda or Bethesda or Zenimax family video game that ends up being exclusive to Xbox and PC. No doubt about it. I don't know what that game is. Is it Starfield? Maybe. I doubt it. Is it a brand new IP we've never heard about? Most definitely. I just, it's that when you, when you talk about like the new Fallout game, the new Elder Scrolls game, the new Doom, that's when I'm like, man, I really don't know about that. I really think that shit's coming to PlayStation. And and you just think about it again. It's, it's the whole thing of they spent $7.5 billion on, on this acquisition. Like, they, they need to get their money back, guys. So so they, they need to get their money back. This isn't like, they're not playing around. They're not like, uh, $7.5 billion, uh, we'll, buy, we'll buy ZeniMax, and then we'll just lock all their games to two of the three platforms they're currently on. And that way, you know, it'll, these games will start making even less money than they already made, which will help us recoup the costs. But, like, it just, it doesn't make sense. Like, when it's, I don't want to compare it to Minecraft because it's really not the same thing. Minecraft is a service, and you know, Count Scotula, you you clearly understand that concept because you even say here that you don't think things like Fallout seventy six or Elder Scrolls Online will be will be removed from PlayStation because they're already games as a service. They're already on these platforms. They already have these player bases that exist on these platforms. So they can't just take that away. So you you get the concept there. I get that, but like, I just again, I just don't think. I, I think when you have a franchise as big as like Fallout or Elder Scrolls, you can't, and that's so ubiquitous on, on, I mean, to all gamers despite platform, I just don't think you can take that away. I think it's, it's such a dick move and it comes off as such like a bad guy move. And in a time where Microsoft's really like marketing and, and riding on this wave of like, we're the good guys. We're the guys that enable you to play wherever and however you want to play. And we're the guys that say like, hey, we'll play friend. We're going to play friendly with our, with our competitors. They, they're the ones who aren't necessarily going to play nicely with us. You know, that's a very PlayStation move to be like, uh-uh, you're shut off. No games for you. So I, I really, really think 
you're going to continue to see these pre-existing franchises on PlayStation? I really think you will. Because, again, you know, Microsoft's not an altruistic company. They're here to make money. So they want to recoup this cost. They want Bethesda and ZeniMax and all this shit to be a profitable acquisition for them as soon as possible. They're going to put these games on PlayStation. Remember, I, I know Xbox is doing really good with the, with the leading up to the launch of the Series X and S. And it looks like they're going to make up some lost ground uh, from the Xbox One generation. I think that's all true. But at the end of the day... PlayStation 5 is still going to be a better selling console generation than Xbox Series S and X. I'm just, I'm just telling you that. I'm not. It's not because I'm a fanboy. It's not because I'm out to get Xbox. It's just because this just is what it is, guys. Like PlayStation is a massive gaming brand. Now, I know Microsoft's a bigger company than Sony. I know Microsoft could just buy Sony and and pummel them to the ground if they wanted to. I know all this shit, but like, well, I, 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 I not all that's lost on me. But again, it's like. A massive percentage of, of, of the gaming community is on PlayStation, and these games already exist on PlayStation. And if you if you decide to not put Fallout 5 on PlayStation 5, you piss off a ton of people. You make Bethesda look bad, you make Xbox look bad, you make Microsoft look bad, and you miss out on a shit ton of money. You're just leaving it all on the table. And, and it, makes, it spits in the face of everything else you've been doing because you got fucking the Ori games going everywhere, and I know those aren't, you know... Microsoft doesn't own Moon Studios, so it's like, okay, what's another example? Well, it's like you got fucking Minecraft and going everywhere and all these other studios you've acquired, like like in Exile and, and, and Obsidian and stuff, and, and, and they have, I know there's these pre-existing marketing deals and publishing deals in place, and that's why this is the case, but, you know, they've got games on other platforms. I, again, I just I just don't see Microsoft being like, this is, this is where we close the door on people, is at Fallout, so... I don't know. Maybe at this point it really is just like a my gut feeling versus your gut feeling. So there's no good way to put it. But I'm willing to bet money on this, guys. You're going to see a lot of these big name titles on PlayStation. You're just going to see them there. And, you know, it, it really is for the better. It Just in the sense that, you know, everyone wins when more people have access to it. Now, I think it's interesting that you say that you make the point that Phil can be like, well, you can play it anywhere because you can play it on a smart TV. You can, you know, you can stream it on a smart TV. You can stream it on a web browser. You can stream it on a, a Amazon stick or something like that. I, I think that's an interesting point. I don't know how, how much that's true that we're going to be there in a few years with that, but we'll see. But that is an interesting point just for the fact that it's like, sure, you could tell PlayStation gamers, hey, we're not making Fallout 5 exclusive to xbox and pc meaning that you as a playstation gamer can no longer play this game like all you gotta do is get game pass and you can stream it to your smart tv or you can stream it to your web browser so there's definitely an option for you if you own an xbox if you own a playstation you don't own an xbox but you want to play you know fallout 5 or whatever so that that's an interesting point because it is like this kind of half step into being like you're still locked into our ecosystem but you can still play the game but again man i think I think they're kind of excited about that idea that, like, you know, the people we can get on Game Pass are going to buy an Xbox or have an Xbox or are either going to buy an Xbox and get Game Pass or going to have a Game Pass subscription and play PC. And then the people we just can't get to sign up for Game Pass are going to buy a PlayStation. And then we're still going to make money off them because they're going to buy our games for $70 that they could have just gotten through Game Pass. So I think Microsoft kind of likes this idea of, like, we're going to get people's money one way or another. And, you know, by by offering them the option to buy these games for 70 bucks on PlayStation on the competitor's platform, we're still making a killing off these games, whether, you know, regardless of the fact that, you know, 
they're not on Game Pass. And and I think that's kind of smart just because, like, even though Game Pass is an, an undoubtedly great value, you're never going to get 100% of gamers on board with Game Pass. It's just not going to happen. Microsoft knows that. So if you have a way of still making money off these games that are in Game Pass to people who just aren't ever going to have Game Pass anyway, then, again, that's just more area of opportunity as, as far as I see it. But, again, this is one of those things that only, only time will tell. We're just going to have to kind of see because I'm sure, you know, if we could just fast forward to – October 2021, we're going to have a really different outlook on how Microsoft is handling services once we're kind of acclimated to the new generation and and see how all these acquisitions are kind of panning out now that they're a little more settled into the Xbox brand and family. So I'm sure that the way we feel about this is going to be very different in a year, but I'm, I'm telling you, as of now, I, I think this shit's going third party for the most part. I, again, Nazi slut, you know, these smaller games or these new IP that have never been established on other platforms... I don't doubt that they will be Xbox and PC exclusive, but Elder Scrolls, Doom, Fallout, I don't know, man. I just don't know. Tanali Maya comes in with the next comment. He says, I once had eight police squad cars and a police helicopter pull me over. Every officer had his or her sidearm aimed at my face. Oh, but Jesse couldn't secure his own Xbox. He still got one, but the cardboard box won't have his address on it. You're right. I'll get over my childhood trauma. So sorry, Jesse. So this is Tanali Maya commenting on last week how I was being a little bit woe is me and a little bit like uh, throwing a bit of a pity party over the fact that I couldn't secure an Xbox Series X pre-order, despite the fact that it seemed like everyone else had virtually no problem really getting one. So joke's on you, actually, because my brother was actually able to change, as as you may recall, uh, my brother was able to get a second pre-order in, so he was able to get one for himself, one for me. And uh, about a day after I recorded the podcast last week, my brother informed me that Amazon finally let him adjust the payment info and the shipping address. So he was able to actually change it over to my payment method and ship it to my house. So now it's basically just entirely my pre-order where it's going to ship straight to me. He doesn't have to ship it over to me once he gets it. So just want to rub that in your face a little bit, Tanali. Yeah, I, I was a little bit of a bitch last week about that. And you know what? It still worked out for me. So yeah, I'm going to get my Series X maybe on launch day, maybe a day after, who knows, who cares, but uh, just wanted to rub it in your face a little bit, buddy. Speaking of lethal migraine, even though we weren't speaking of him at all, he says, I was able to get a Series X at the Microsoft store, uh, online, of course, since they're now closed, the virtual store, the physical stores are closed, rest in peace. He said, and I got a Series X on Amazon, so you got two of them. Uh, also, I decided to pick up a second Elite controller. Okay, buddy. Uh, and then you say, as for the as for the consoles themselves, everything I've heard about Xbox had three times more console. Everything I've heard says that Xbox had three times more console orders than Sony had. I don't know about that. Amazon and Best Buy didn't actually open up pre-orders on time. It was about 45 minutes late on both. It's amazing how quickly all the Xboxes sold out. Aaron Greenberg did say last night during a Dealer's Gaming podcast that there should be more consoles offered uh, every two to three days. So... That's good to know. That's why I was saying I'm sure that you'll see them kind of pop up here and there in little in little patches. So if you haven't gotten yours yet, please be on the lookout. Speaking of not getting theirs yet, EA's EA's King One One Seven says, "Okay, I was trying to pre-order, and my computer gave me the blue screen. I don't I don't know if that means you didn't get one or not, but I I'm sorry. I'm sure that was a frustrate. I'm sure that was a frustrating situation. But want to let you know, as as Lethal Migraine points out here, looks like there's still opportunities. So I. I'm hoping that you're able to get your own EA's King, but back to Lethal Migraine here. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know about that whole. First of all, Lethal Migraine. Why do you have two orders? Listen, if you're the kind of guy who gets two pre-orders because you don't trust the retailers, 
to ship it on time. Like you think like, oh, I'll get Xbox. I'll get one from Amazon and one from Microsoft because one of them might not ship on time or one of them might get canceled. I get that. But is, that better be your reason for getting two. Are you getting two because you're trying to scalp one lethal migraine? I, I wonder. Just kidding. I, 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 know, I know you're better than that. You, you ain't scalping. But, you know, you have your own. You, you do what you want to do. If you, if you need two consoles, you need one in the living room, one in the bedroom. I get it. You need a little Xbox everywhere you go. But anyway, back to your point that I find most interesting here. You say that everything I've heard in the X says that Xbox had three times more consoles to order than Sony had. I mean, I, I've also heard, I, and I don't remember where or how I heard this, but apparently Microsoft was just able to get more units produced. So, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me if Microsoft just has more units ready to go because if you remember back to earlier in the year, it seemed like Microsoft was pretty, you know, pretty confident that the Xbox Series X was, you know, the correct console. All the components were kind of locked in in place and they knew vaguely what they were doing or at least a little more confidently than what Sony had because there were those articles earlier in the spring about how, you know, Sony still wasn't even fully aware of like what they were going to do in terms of pricing or some of the finalized components and, and things like that. So, it seems like with PlayStation may have gone into production a little later than anticipated or a little later than what's normal. Whereas it seems like anecdotally, at least Xbox series X and S maybe went into production a little, a little sooner than PlayStation. So that would explain uh, some of that, but nonetheless, that doesn't matter too much because eventually COVID aside and all this initial production constraints and in supplier demand, just demand being so immense at the beginning of a console launch. Uh, eventually these things are going to kind of even out. And I think once you see these new Xbox and PlayStation consoles readily available everywhere you go, you're going to, you're going to find that PlayStation in general is just going to sell better. It just is. I'm just telling you, man, I, again, this isn't a fanboy thing. I'm just trying to be super, just uh, transparent about this. I think PlayStation as a brand just has more cachet and it's just going to resonate more with people. Uh, but yeah, I, I do suspect that Xbox is going to pick up a lot of lost ground with between between having the most powerful console and having the most affordable console and having Game Pass, which is immense, which is incredible value, as well as you know acquiring studios like Bethesda. I think there's a lot of winning going on at Team Xbox right now that's really going to help close the gap, but I, s I still think, you know, once once all is said and done, once we're comfortably into this generation, you're going to see that the PlayStation is still outselling the Xbox, but that that shouldn't be what matters here. I think Xbox is going to be incredibly profitable and successful. But with that said, let's let's jump into some of those comments you guys had about Bethesda in particular. Dead Captain James, our OG commenter, says, The Bethesda news and the lack of me getting my hands on a 3080 pushed me over the edge. I went ahead and locked down a Series X. Sorry you didn't get your pre-order, bro. At least your brother came through at the end. Thank you so much. He did come through. I'm very grateful. I'm, I'm indebted to my brother for helping, you know, pull through at the last minute there. But... You know, it's funny you say this because I remember Dead Captain James was the one saying, you know, a month or two ago that, you know, you just didn't see all the real advantage to getting a Series X at launch just because the nature of everything just being available on PC and previous Xbox hardware. So it, it's cool to see that you kind of come around and decide, hey, I'm going to get the X now, you know. And I, the reason why I say I think that's cool is just because I think Microsoft did a really good job, you know, even despite like Halo Infinite getting delayed of getting people really excited and hyped about the new console. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a good thing. I'm just saying that it, it's, I don't know, do console new, new hard, new generation launches are exciting. And this is an exciting time guys. Like we're going to get a brand new Xbox. We're going to get our hands on a new Xbox console. We haven't had that since, you know, 2013. So it's just always exciting to be a part of this, like 
Uh, were you there when the new console came out? Did you get one around the time it came out? And just kind of be able to explore new hardware, the new software updates, or kind of UI changes that come with the new piece of hardware, and and just see all the new bells and whistles of the console, and to just kind of be like, I don't know, you think you think about your, like your gaming console. That's something you spend a lot of time on. You know, you don't modify your Xbox the way you modify a PC. Like my like for example, like my Xbox One, I bought it. You know, when the Xbox One came out, and it's just sat there on my entertainment center ever since. Like, it, it doesn't change. It's still the same color. It still has the same specs. It doesn't have any light-up effects. It doesn't, like, load faster or anything like that. The only thing I've done to it is slapped on an external storage device to give it more, you know, hard drive space. So, it's just it's just cool to think, you know, I spend so much time. I'm, I'm on my Xbox all week, every week. You know, it's always in the background running TV or something, or I'm always playing a game on it or something like that. And now, after seven years of consistently using this this xbox all the fucking time there's going to be a new xbox that replaces it it's just an exciting feeling to know like hey this is the this is the new xbox that we're going to be spending a lot of our time with it's just i don't know i i just think that's it's a pretty reasonable way to feel about new hardware right like we spend a lot of time with our technology especially things like the phones in our pockets and or the xboxes or playstations on our entertainment centers so to buy a new one or to be a part of the next generation is is always just a fun thing because this fundamentally changes, you know, the thing that you interface with all the time when you're in your living room, you know, or wherever the hell your Xbox is. And that's 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 a thing you spend a lot of time with. So that's not nothing, you know. So I don't know. It's just, it's just fun to see people find their own ways to be excited about Xbox Series X and S and and to get their pre-orders in. And, and, you know, like once you get your pre-order in, once the date is out and all that, the release date and everything that's when it becomes real. So that's why it's so exciting now is because, you know, now we know the price, we know the release date, we have our pre-orders in. Now we're just waiting for November 10th. And now, and now because of that, it feels real. It feels like there is a new Xbox coming out. We're seeing a lot of, a lot of games industry, sorry, a lot of games media people this week talk about their hands-on time with the Xbox Series X as a lot of them have been getting these consoles early to play with. And, and just, I feel like all this amalgamation of like all the hype and the marketing and the, in, in the pre-orders and stuff is just making it so real now because now it's you know now Xbox Series X isn't the new Xbox that's on the horizon it's like the new imminently releasing thing that is going to define this brand and that's just a really fun part you know the, the box is at the center of is at the center of the brand although that's not really the plan with Xbox is you know the center is supposed to be well as the marketing would say the center of the of the of the brand is you the gamer and then how you want to play is the whatever that's not what we're getting into but i just i just appreciate that comment because I, I think it's cool to see you kind of turn around and sorry that you weren't able to get your hands on that 3080 graphics card you goddamn pc nerds next up viking of the north says this is a counterpunch to sony for snatching spider-man away from other users and this is also like a counterpunch to final fantasy 16 and uh that's actually kind of a good point because <laughs> Because it was kind of like a big blow when, when Sony was like, oh, yeah, Spider-Man is only on PlayStation and Spider-Man on this Avengers game is only coming to the PlayStation version of the game. And we got Final Fantasy 16, which is stupid, even though you already got all the other Final Fantasy games. But now we can just be like, yeah, fuck it. We got Skyrim. We got Elder Scrolls. You know, we got Fallout and Doom. It's like, fuck you, PlayStation. And I just, I mean, that is kind of a cool, like, grab, I think. Bethesda and Zenimax is infinitely more exciting than just Spider-Man or Final Fantasy or the two combined. And 
don't get me wrong, Spider-Man's a massive property to have, but I mean, just all of Zenimax, that's, that's bigger. And then we'll close out with some comments here. Lethal Migraine says it's not, I made the comment that about it potentially being a little monopolistic for Microsoft to be buying up just large swaths of the gaming industry, especially the big publishing brands. But you say it's not monopolistic. It's not even close. It's not limiting competition. Ubisoft has more studios. THQ Nordic has more studios. Nobody is stopping anyone from making their own console other than money itself. Plenty of massive companies in gaming. There's always Tencent. Yes, there is always Tencent. We want them out of our games as much as possible but i i don't know that i agree with you i mean i think the games industry has become a little bit on the on or aired a little bit on the side of monopolistic over the past few years as we've seen thq nordic buy everything up and microsoft acquire a bunch of new studios and i think we've seen there be it's hard to say right because in terms of the big studios it seems like a lot of the a lot of the studios over the past few years have have gotten consumed or gobbled up or associated with other big publishing arms like Bethesda with Microsoft. But on the other, you know, on the other side of that, you've got, you know, the indie game scene has never been as big as it is right now. You know, like 20 years ago, there was no indie game. It was, it was just major game releases. And now, you know, someone can make a game in their basement and the next day be a fucking millionaire because it blew up on steam and on PlayStation network and on Xbox live. And now, you know, they're the biggest shit in the world. And so, we live in a world where he, it's like we just have we just have very polar opposites. We have the tiny studios doing their own indie art project thing, and then we have the big guys. But again, I, I do I do think it is something to keep an eye on. I feel like there is something a little inherently monopolistic. You say the only thing stopping people the only thing stopping people from getting involved is money. I mean, that's a pretty big setback. I mean, that's the biggest setback, so the fact that you know people can people could potentially want to get involved in games in the games industry, but then not be able to because money. I think that's a pretty good example of what monopolies do: is they they hold all the power and the money so that other people can't compete and join in on the fun. So it seems like you contradict yourself a little bit right there, but agree, agree to disagree, Lethal Migraine. I, again, I, I think what I said last week was something to the effect that I, I don't find it to be totally an example of like a monopolistic tactic to acquire Bethesda, but I do start to worry a little bit that that this might be a step in that direction. I just I just like I like for there to be a lot of independence. I like for a lot of companies to be doing their own thing, competing with everyone else in a friendly way and and just out there kind of carving out their corner of the industry rather than everyone feeling like they got to buddy up so they can have like two or three titans brawl it out instead of just a bunch of different companies out there doing their own thing of varying sizes. And then, uh, yeah, it's just some wrap-up comments here. My brother says he's curious what the new Fable game will be like. The old Fable games didn't really play like the other big Western RPGs. I think you get 100% the first game in like 15 hours. Is the new one going to be smaller and more concise like the first game? Uh, I only read this one mostly just because my brother got me an Xbox Series X pre-order and I and I feel obligated to read his comments because of that. No, but really I read this because it, it does remind me that like now that we have Bethesda, it's like... There's just so much of this overlap going on in the Xbox ecosystem where it's like we got Bethesda making games like Fallout and Skyrim and we got, you know, Playground making Fable and we got, you know, Obsidian making these kinds of RPGs like Avowed and Outer Worlds. And it's like, is there, have we overnight gotten to this point with, with Xbox where it's like there's like a, a redundancy and just a fatigue in these like third person or first person like open world action RPG games or like these Western RPGs? I, I don't know. It's just like, 
we've we've gone from Microsoft being like, oh, you got the third person shooter, the first person shooter in the racing game to like, oh, you've got this RPG and this RPG and this RPG and it's all good with me. Like I'm I'm excited about all of it, but it, it is interesting to see that like I feel like something about acquiring Bethesda takes a little bit of the the blow or the not the blow, but rather like the uh, the impact of like, oh, we're getting avowed, oh, we're getting fable. It's like, oh, we're also getting Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six and all that shit. So I don't know. It just seems like there's a whole lot of this uh, this kind of genre being delivered on Xbox. But you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go heavy on a genre, this is a good one to go heavy on because these are games that are extremely popular and well liked. So why not? And then uh, Strictly Gaming says, Hi, Jesse. Hope all is good and that you're having a good week. Thank you. Uh, my question for you is that, have you ever played the game Control by Remedy? I'm a huge fan of the Alan Wake and Quantum Break games, and I heard bad things about Control, but I completed it this week and actually thought it was a brilliant game and that the Alan Wake DLC was excellent too. Just want your thoughts on it. Uh, funny you say this because actually I, um, a couple months ago or maybe towards the spring, I finally did play Control, and I absolutely loved it. I have no idea what, where you're hearing bad things about it. I thought the general consensus was that it was pretty good. But, yeah, I mean, speaking for myself, I thought Control was fantastic. I thought it was a really fun game, and I thought that there was a lot of cool stuff going on with the story. It is definitely not my favorite game by Remedy, but it is uh, is a very good game, and I, I had a great deal of fun playing it. And the, the more I kind of reflect on my experience playing it, the more I am a, a little a little more admiring of it i haven't gotten around to any of the dlc yet but i do plan on getting to that soon yeah i'm definitely a huge fan of remedy uh i if i'm being completely honest there's a big blind spot in my xbox uh gamer history i've actually never beaten alan wake i've started it but i've never beaten it and i i, I want to get back to it. that's been one that i've been thinking about a lot lately about getting back to but as for quantum break quantum break is one of my favorite xbox one console exclusives i think that game is so so very good i have no idea how they pulled off the live action stuff in addition to the game stuff it works very well the game's story is super compelling the characters are interesting the game is really fun that game is all around just a fantastic package and yeah remedy is one of is one of those studios that i just have so much respect for and speaking of studios that xbox should have acquired i think remedy is one of those teams that would have been such a great fit with team xbox but then again, you know, none of their games, with the exception of like Max Payne 1 and 2, seem to ever really be like massive successes or like big hits. So I don't know why you buy Remedy when they they haven't really financially proven themselves to be that all that valuable. But I, I think they make some of the coolest games. I think they're some of the most creative folks in the, in, in the industry. And I really look forward to pretty much everything they do. So I'm actually excited for that Crossfire X campaign that they're working on right now, which will be coming to Series X soon. So we'll definitely be playing that soon enough. But yeah, thanks for writing in. Love Remy a lot. Always looking forward to uh, that. And glad glad you enjoyed Control. I know there's been some outrage about the new special edition version and the next-gen upgrade kind of thing they're doing, but the game itself is fantastic, you know. So very glad to have played that one. Now, our last comment here is from Matt Stevens, who I think this is their first time commenting. You say, uh, why would Game Pass's price have to go up? They make more revenue as the subscriber count goes up, just like Netflix or any other streaming service. Now, this is in regards to my comment last week that eventually Game Pass's price has to go up because $10.99 or $15 for Game Pass Ultimate is just too much. You're getting too much value for too low of a price. And I, I stand by that full heartedly. First of all, whole heart. 
wholeheartedly. So for, first of all, as we understand it, or as you know, the kind of rumor goes, we don't have any solid concrete evidence on this, but a lot of people, you know, in the industry and stuff speculate and have sources that basically tell them that game pass isn't really profitable yet. They're still kind of taking a loss on the service right now. So that that's the first thing is, I, I mean, I could be wrong that they could be making money off of it. I don't fucking know. I'm sure. I don't know. But the, the speculation has been that they're kind of, taking everything they're making off game pass and just reinvesting it right back in to get new features and new games and things like that. So there's that. And if it's not already profitable, I'm sure it will be very soon. I, in fact, I did, I can't imagine that's not at least somewhat profitable, but the, the fact of the matter is here that they're giving you so much fucking content and they're asking for so little money. They know that the, the proposition here, the value proposition here is so great and that's why, you know, you see everyone on the internet, oh, Xbox Game Pass is the best value ever. Why would you not have it? You'd have to be stupid to not have it. And that's, you know, when you're in a position where everyone's saying $10 is nothing for this thing, I would pay more for that. That's kind of a green light to say, okay, we can bump the price and make more money off this thing. I mean, uh, after all, Microsoft is here to make money, right? So I, I think when you keep compounding the $7.5 billion acquisitions and, and the services like EA Access or EA Play and and um, and all this stuff into folding that into the Game Pass subscription and the value of Game Pass. It's inevitable that the service has has to go up in price, right? Because yeah, as you get more subscribers, you make more money. But also, as you add more features and more value and more third party games that you don't own, that things you have to pay for to get into the service, the more the cost of you know, running and offering that service, you, the more you drive that cost up. So I, I just, I, again, I just, I don't understand why you would think they wouldn't drive it up. And, and you use the example Netflix here. Well, remember Netflix was like seven bucks when they started doing video streaming and now it's like 10 or 11 bucks. Netflix jumped the price up a little bit because what they did was they got everyone in the door and they got everyone to realize what a great service Netflix was. And then everyone was like, yeah, I don't even miss the $7 a month. I would never get rid of Netflix. And then when, when they realized that their whole audience was on that page, they said, cool, now we're going to charge an extra three or four bucks from everyone. And no one bad an eye because we're all like, yeah, what are we going to do? Just not have Netflix. And Netflix was able to use that money. I mean, $4 per person might not sound like a lot, but when you add it up to the millions and millions of subscribers, that's a shit ton of money. And so what, what is Netflix able to do with that money? Well, they're able to invest in Netflix studios. And as we all know, Netflix isn't what it used to be. Netflix isn't the place you go to watch TV shows from other networks and movies from other networks. Netflix is where you go to watch Netflix originals, Netflix shows, Netflix movies, Netflix documentaries. And that's what I think you're seeing with Game Pass here too, is that it's, let's get them in the door cheap. Let's start off the service with, you know, our first party games and some other people's games where we can get third parties. But it, as, as you see with what they're doing already is they're, they're going to try to grow Game Pass as much as they can. And it's going to become this thing of like, well, now it's more expensive because we have 30 studios making all these games. You're getting new games on Game Pass all the time. And we have to fund the development of these games and that's where the money from Game Pass goes to is is not only profit, but from, you know, reinvesting into these studios to make new games. And the more studios you buy, the more payrolls you have to be accounted for, the more, you know, the cost is driven up. And then on top of that, you've got, you know, just the whole we can make more money because our, our, our user base or subscriber base is just so inundated with this platform. They're so used to it and they're so, you know, not going back from it that we can afford or we can justify kind of 
getting a few more bucks a month out of these people. So I just don't see how you don't think that's what's going to happen with Game Pass. In fact, I'm like kind of shocked that I didn't think that was like a hot take when I said it. But nonetheless, like, I mean, you're more than entitled to your opinion and I could be dead wrong. You know, we could be here in 10 years and maybe Game Pass is still kicking well at uh, at $9.99 or $14.99 a month for Ultimate. You know, that might be the case, but I just don't personally see that being what happens. I think, again, as, as Microsoft continues to acquire studios, they look at the money from Game Pass as being the way to fund these studios. And so, you know, because video games aren't cheap to make and owning studios isn't a cheap endeavor... I think you'll see these prices from Game Pass go up, especially as more and more people get Game Pass and realize, wow, this is the greatest service ever. I can't believe it's only 10 bucks. So whatever. I could be wrong, but I, I said I said the price is going to go up, and that's why it's going to go up. That's the short answer. So that's going to do it for all of our comments, shoutouts, whatnot for this week. Like I said, guys, it's a snow, slow news week, so I went a little heavy on that stuff. But, you know, as for always, guys, don't just remember, don't be shy. Reply. Head on over to YouTube. We got second best gaming is the channel, and you can find the Xbox on podcast playlist there. Leave leave some comments, leave some kind words, say some really nice things about me. Tell me that I have great teeth. Uh, whatever you gotta say, but uh, love to hear back from you so we can we can read your comments on the on the show next week. And uh, now we're gonna just jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you all about what I've been playing, I've gotta tell you what I've been eating. And I don't remember if I told you guys this the other the other day. I think I did. Trying to trying to mix a little bit of that vegetarian diet in just to reduce the amount of meat consumption. So I don't know. I've just been kind of like trying to stick to that. It's been kind of a challenge just because whenever you want to like get something quick and easy, I feel like it's hard to avoid meat. But yeah, so that's that's kind of my thing. I'm still focused on that. But other than that, we've been doing a lot of Halloween treats. We're trying to really get into the Halloween spirit here in my apartment. We got those like cinnamony fall scented like sticks hung up my girlfriend's got all these decorations trying to watch some scary movies scary tv shows play some more like festive games games that are kind of appropriate for the season so with that said we're just trying to we're just trying to do some fall stuff my my girlfriend made an apple cobbler thing the other day that was really good and um there's been some pumpkin spice shit going around here I, i don't know i just I'm a little thrown off on the food game this week. I feel like we we went really deep into the Mountain Dew and the Pepsi, so I don't want to harp on this too much. But the food thing for me has been weird as of late. Trying try, trying to focus a little bit on the vegetarian thing, but also trying to focus on getting some of that Halloween season in me. And, and I think that means a lot of candy. I've been I've been really tempted to eat some crispy M and M's. That's a chocolate for those of you who don't understand. And I think chocolate. Goes well with Halloween as as a uh, you know trick or treating in the candy situation. As far as that's concerned, I think there's a little bit of a correlation there. Now, let's stop talking about food because I'm kind of rambling. It's kind of weird what I'm saying here, but I would like to tell you a little bit about what I've been playing as I skipped over this last week. Now, tell me why the three part uh, series from Don't Nod that is exclusive for Xbox and PC, uh, published by Xbox Game Studios. Yeah, finally beat it. Finished up episodes two and three. Final thoughts on it, man. I'll be honest with you. You may remember if you've been listening to the show for a while. I was really down on Life is Strange 2. I thought Life is Strange 2 was just god-awful. It was like this really cringy, poorly written, poorly realized attempt at like all this identity politics bullshit and this social commentary that just fell super flat and was really cheesy and corny, um, which really upset me because 
I was such a massive fan of the first Life is Strange game. I found it, I mean, that's one of my most memorable gaming experiences from the Xbox One generation altogether. So I was really disappointed that Life is Strange 2 just sucked so bad. It's just such a bad game with unlikable characters and ridiculous events. But with with uh, Tell Me Why, I was really hoping that we, we could give Don't Not another shot and then not be disappointed. And I'm really happy to say that with Tell Me Why, having now beaten it, it's definitely not a shitty, cringy, like, we're just trying to do social commentary bullshit kind of game. Um, I think I think the game definitely, I mean, to, to be fair, Don't Nod always has, like, this kind of, you know, twist on, like, they're, they're always talking about something in the realm of, like, of, like, the social conversation. They always, you know, they, they always touch on these things to some extent, whether it's about, like, LGBTQ co- topics or, like, uh, about, like, uh, race topics or things like that. So that's always kind of in some form or another in their games. And I, and I, I'm not trying to say I have a problem with that. I definitely don't. Um, it's just in, in life is strange too. It was handled so poorly. It was like, they tried to find a writer who has zero concept of what the fuck is going on with the world. And are like, Hey, here's a comic book that depicts uh race in the U S uh, make a game about it. And it was just awful. But tell me why I think does it way more tastefully. Um, it's kind of twist or, or attempt to add weight to the conversation or add to the conversation, uh, the social conversation rather right now going on in our modern world, in our progressive world. Uh, it, it's one of its main characters. Tyler is, is a is a trans male character. And I think that's a really compelling story to kind of tell because, well, first of all, the game is not just about him being trans. And that's why I appreciate it is because it's its own fucking story. So it's about these siblings. Uh, I, man, I beat the game a week ago. I'm already forgetting some of the characters. I think her name is Allison and her brother, Tyler, who's a trans male. And the game kind of sets you up with like telling you a little bit about their childhood, about how their mother, how like their mother went crazy and they had to defend her- themselves and basically killed her mother in, in an effort to protect themselves. And the whole game's basically about like, these siblings kind of reuniting and exploring their youth and their childhood and how, and, uh, and kind of like why their mother would have been motivated to do this and, and learn these secrets and stuff. And it's, I think, I think the way it kind of tries to interweave, like the thing about like Tyler and his, and his identity and the siblings relationship and their past and the thing about their mother, I think the way it kind of holds all those narratives is interesting and cool. I think it's a cool premise and I think they handle all the characters well, and so definitely a massive improvement from Life is Strange 2 in terms of just not coming off as like cringy and just like trying to be a part of the conversation, you know, like Tyler's a bit of like a Tyler's a bit of like a like an asshole character. <laughs> like he's kind of a jerk to some people and that made it harder for me to like him. But in terms of like Tyler and his, in, Tyler and his relationship with his sister, Allison, uh, I really like that sibling dynamic a lot. And I find that interesting and like the kind of like love they have for each other and this like the fact that they've kind of been raised and grown up so far apart from each other due to the fact that you know one of them was raised by a friend of the family and one of them was sent off to this uh basically this institution and just kind of seeing them kind of reconnect and realize all the parts of their lives they've missed together but the ways in which they're so dependent on each other because they've gone through this shared experience that no one else really understands i think all that's really cool it's a really compelling story it's a really awesome premise 
And it has a lot of that Don't Nod flavor that I love, where I really love the aesthetic, the setting. Don't Nod's really obsessed with, like, these... This one takes place in Alaska, but they're really obsessed with, like, these Pacific Northwest, Alaskan kind of settings. And they're just always so stunning. So, like, another really stellar st- uh, setting for the game. So, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of good stuff there. Interesting characters, great premise, uh, trying to tell some interesting and new stories about some, like, different types of people without, without you know coming off as like cringy or like a little like try hard or just like diversity for the sake of diversity, which I really admire. I think, I think the game is really good in all those respects, but here's where it falls apart. They have these mostly interesting characters. They have this really interesting like plot and synopsis and they just fucking just meander about. It's three episodes of like, not a whole lot of anything happening. It's like you just talk to people. You keep harping on the same three points. You're in like the same place all the time. I feel like you just spend way too much time in their childhood home exploring it and doing nothing. There's these stupid goblin puzzles. This whole thing about when they were kids and they called themselves goblins. And it's it's not cute. It's just fucking weird. And it's like it, it's just like they had all the ingredients to tell a really awesome story. And then they just fumble it by just just constantly just fiddling around and, and doing nothing. It feels like really the bulk of the story could have been told in like a tight two hour story, like single episode, but instead they just drag it out to be this three hour or this three episode. I mean, once you play all three episodes together, probably like eight to 10 hour kind of adventure. And it's just, uh, it's unsatisfying just because it gets boring. It just, there get it gets to the point where it's like, I don't care about this character or this event or this specific instance because you keep forcing all this like meandering bullshit in my face. And I don't know. I'm, I'm disappointed in the fact that, you know, if life is strange was one was like a really excellent game all around. And life is strange two was like really fun to play because it was like, I'm not gonna lie. Life is strange two sucks, but like it was fun to play because I was constantly like, okay, what's going to happen? Like, it was one of those, like, I love to hate it kind of games. But then Tell Me Why is like, I want to love it, but it's just so boring. I can't be completely enveloped in it. And that was disappointing for me. So a little bit of a miss. I kind of feel pretty much opposite to how I felt about Life is Strange 2, where, again, I I liked the characters. I liked where they were going. I liked the world they built up here. I just feel like they kind of don't, they just kind of squander the opportunity. They had a good... They had a good thing set up and then they just kind of like did nothing. It's just, it's so much just like walking around the grocery store and walking around the childhood home and being like, Oh, I remember how we got that stain on the couch. Oh, I remember, Oh, I remember eating Cheerios on Saturday mornings, eh? Because apparently they're Canadian in Alaska, but it's just, I don't know. It's just really, really disappointing that they didn't try to tell a more like emotionally impactful, like tight, compelling story, but instead they just dragged it out and made this, uh, just boring eight hour thing. So I, I, I'm still going to give don't nod the benefit of the doubt or rather not the benefit of the doubt. I'm still going to give them another chance, whatever their next game is, because again, I really love this style of game. I really love their aesthetic and their settings and all these things. And I think for the most part they're they, they create interesting characters with interesting backgrounds. It's just, they now have this kind of hit or miss track record of how they execute on it. And it sucks because again, I love the first life is strange. I love that Captain um, Spirit spinoff they did that ties into Life is Strange 2. Life is Strange 2 was really fun to play, but so stupid. Such a stupid game. And then Tell Me Why is a really 
interesting premise with high potential that just ends up being really, really boring and slow. So I hope they're able to kind of recapture that magic and that they don't end up just being a one note, you know, or a one hit wonder. Um, because I, I think there's a lot here. There's a lot of potential, but it just doesn't do it for me. Otherwise, I've been playing Hotshot Racing, which is a relatively new game to Game Pass. Someone was acting, asking a few weeks, can you recommend some games on Game Pass that are like kind of lesser known? This is a, rel- a, a recently released title that I recommend to pretty much anyone. If you're a fan of like old Sega arcade racer games, this is definitely one for you to try out. It has that old like polygonal kind of art style, and it's just super stunning, really awesome art style. Really wacky arcadey characters, uh, awesome tracks that are all themed to like, like theme parks and the Amazon rainforest and just crazy settings and stuff like that. Mini golf courses and shit like that. So really fun tracks, really fun racing, super arcadey, fun drift mechanic, really tight gameplay. Hotshot Racing, really highly recommend that if you're looking for something kind of easy to jump into on Game Pass. And then lastly, I played Man of Madon. This is my I'm getting to my fall games lineup. So the Dark Pictures Anthology, Man of Madon. So developers, super massive. These are the guys that made Until Dawn, which is like that kind of like don't nod storytelling adventure kind of game. Kind of like, you know, like one of those telltale games or like a don't nod Life is Strange game um, where you kind of watch it and you make decisions, you pick choices, you decide what you're going to say and things like that. And your choices have consequences. And they made that game Until Dawn for PlayStation maybe five years ago or so. That did pretty well. And it's like one of those games, but the setting is like a a camp slasher kind of horror movie. Now, this is their this is their next this is their next game. And they're go they're going multi-platform now. So they're working on like these kind of one-offs, but it's under this umbrella franchise called um, Dark Pictures Anthology. And so Man of Madonna is the first one. It's about like these kind of douchey rich kids that go to like they go to like the Caribbean to go like deep sea diving and and they they get uh they get their ship boarded by pirates and then they kind of end up on this abandoned old like um US military air or watercraft that's like haunted and and all this shit and you know you got to work together to get out of this and survive and blah 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 and some of the characters die depending on how what decisions you make and things like that it's a really fun little tight 3 4 hour um, story adventure game and I had a lot of fun with it I think it was kind of the perfect way to get into the swing of the Halloween spirit and uh, yeah I, I highly recommend that one to you to you guys it, it just came to game pass I played it because my brother actually purchased it for me like months ago for my birthday but I'm finally I, I'm glad I finally got around to it I've actually had their other game until dawn downloaded on my ps4 for like years now still haven't played it but I'm looking forward to maybe getting into that this this uh this Halloween season but I've already got a, a lengthy list of Halloween games I want to get into, so definitely recommend that if you're looking for something spooky to kind of get you into the season, the season spirit, the holiday spirit, and we'll get into that more later on the show when we get with Games of Gold, but let's just jump into our news, guys. We have some quick little news stories. Let's just talk about it. So our first one here is that earlier this year, Microsoft revealed EA Play was joining Xbox Game Pass Ultimate and Xbox Game Pass for PC at no extra cost. Today, Microsoft announced that the service will be coming to Xbox on November 10th launching alongside the release of the Xbox Series X and S. It will be added to Game Pass for PC sometime in December. Yeah, so like I told you guys, it's slow news week, so not really big stories here, but we finally have a date. We're not finally. We've only known about this for a short time, but we have a date now for when EA Play goes into Game Pass, which is the launch day of the Series X and S. Now, this is a. I think this is part of Microsoft's, like, 
hey, we don't have a Halo launching with this console. We need to, like, throw everything we possibly can at the wall. I think that's why it matters to have, like, the Bethesda news and EA Play coming on the day of launch and and uh, Gears Tactics coming to console on the day of launch and all these things because I, I think the, the idea here is, like, if we can just get all the smaller announcements, all the smaller deals and all these little added benefits and perks and stuff that kind of launch alongside the new hardware, then just maybe we can find ourselves in a position where, you know, yeah, we don't have the killer app this holiday season to get with a new console, but there's just so much new stuff. There's so much exciting stuff around our brand that maybe it's just, just maybe it's worth it to go ahead and pick up the new Xbox console this year. So that's how I see them doing this and and what the benefit is from that. But remember with EA play, it's not like you're getting, all the newest EA games immediately added into the service. You get discounts on them, you get demos for them, you get older games in it. So lots of new games are going to be added to Game Pass. It's a great deal, but it's not, I don't know. This isn't like, this isn't like, oh, you guys ready to play that new Star Wars Squadron game the day you get your Xbox Series X? Like, no, that's not what's happening here. But nonetheless, it's good to finally have a date on that. And I think the bigger story here is just that, you know, for all the people who will be getting an Xbox Series S or X on November 10th, you know, people who haven't had Xbox in a while or who maybe never had an Xbox, this is a great way to introduce them to the Xbox console because they're going to boot up their series console. You know, maybe they were a PS4 gamer this past generation and, and this is their first time back on Xbox in a long time and they're going to say, okay, let's see what Xbox has to offer. I'm back on Team Xbox. What do we got here? And then you jump into the marketplace and you're just like, holy fuck, there's just so much free shit from Game Pass. And I think that's kind of the point here is to be like, hey, new generation of Xbox, here's the most shit we can offer all at once. Here you go. It's everywhere. And I think, you know, having EA play there on day one is kind of critical if you want to tell that story because we're not critical, but it's it's very advantageous to have there day one because, I mean, that's just even more value. Because, again, it's, I mean, remember the big thing about Game Pass, the number one perk, I think, as everyone will acknowledge, is that anything that Xbox publishes, you get the day it comes out in Game Pass, period. That's the biggest perk of Xbox Game Pass, without a doubt. But to also have a bunch of EA shit there is really impressive, too, because people expect Microsoft to support Microsoft service with Microsoft software. But people don't expect Microsoft to support Microsoft service with other publishers' content. So the fact that you're getting so much EA support in Game Pass is a huge win because I know we like to hate on EA and everything, but like EA is one of the biggest players in the games industry. They have some of the highest grossing games, some of those successful franchises and IP. It's a big deal to have their support on this service that you're just paying 10 bucks a month for you know, for all the other shit already. So the fact that you're just getting all this added shit from day one is going to make that initial experience on the Xbox Series S and X platform just that much sweeter just to be like, wow, there's just so much here. There's just so much to offer, so much value packed in. And uh, yeah, this is this plays part of that story. And I think it's a Perfect timing. I'm glad they were able to get it out in time for launch day. Makes perfect sense. Our next one here, and I don't, I just don't want to get into this too much because I'm so tired of the story. I'm so tired of the story popping up, but but here we go again. Uh, so CD Projekt Red is reportedly uh, enacting a mandatory six day work weeks or mandatory six day work weeks from now on until 
The game is finished to finish work on Cyberpunk 2077, which is due out in November. The studio, uh, the studio promised employees that there would be no mandatory crunch to finish the highly anticipated game. But in a report with Bloomberg, CD Projekt Red studio head Adam Badowski sent an email to staff explaining the decision to uh, crunch before the game's launch. He even addresses that the game, that the crunch decision uh, reverses earlier promises for the company, saying that they wouldn't require it. The the excerpt from the email says, "Quote: I take it upon myself to receive the full backlash of the decision. I know this is in direct opposition to what we said about crunch. It's also in direct opposition to what I personally grew to believe a while back that crunch should never be the answer. But we've extended all other possible means of navigating the situation. And then shortly after, you know, with this said, you know, the internet kind of blew up." And all the all the games journalists that work those cushiony forty hour jobs where they just uh, get free games and write about their opinions on games and then get paid money were then like, oh, uh, we got uh, they're like, oh, bad CD Projekt Red, just delay the game indefinitely because you know you don't need to get your game out in time for the holiday. Everyone just knows you know multi million dollar projects are just uh, are just. Uh, you know, just thrown to the wind whenever and, and, you know, you don't have to meet deadlines or anything or ever get anything out the door. That's how creative efforts work. You just clock in for eight hours and you go home when you're done. And so they, uh, the next day or today, rather at the time of this recording, Adam Badowski kind of took to Twitter and elaborated after all the backlash from the story kind of got out. And so he issues a statement responding to Bloomberg's tweet, you know, uh, Jason Schreier, the, the original guy who wrote the story for Bloomberg. And he says, uh, basically, let's just read his statement. He goes, These last six weeks are our final sprint on a project we've all spent so much of our lives on. Something we can, something we care for deeply. The majority of our team understands that push, especially in light of the fact that we've just sent the game to certification and every day brings us by visibly closer to shipping the game we want to be proud of. This is one of the hardest decisions I've had to make, but everyone is well compensated for the extra hours they put in. And like in recent years, 10% of the annual profit of our game of our company generated in 2021 will be split directly among them. So we've talked about this on the, on the podcast before. I know this is like kind of a controversial topic. There are probably some of you out there listening who disagree with me greatly and say, Jesse, you're being an inconsiderate asshole. These people have families to get home to. These people have lives outside their jobs. They, they shouldn't be worked to death like dogs over, you know, getting a video game out. You know, this isn't like, they're not looking for the cure for cancer. They're making a goddamn video game. It's a piece of entertainment. But again, I, I and I'll say the same shit I've always said, and this is why I don't want to stay on this for too long. If if you are someone who is blessed enough to be a part of the video game industry, if this is your passion in life, is to create video games, you are so lucky to be working at a studio like CD Projekt Red, working on a project like, like Cyberpunk 2077, which will undoubtedly go on to be one of the biggest successes in video games of the next 10 years and to be able to say i was a part of that i'm getting to put down my resume in of itself is such a massive win for you in your career and just you as as a creator but but here's the big part if you want to and, and again i've said this before so this is going to sound probably fall on deaf ears to half of you if you ever heard me talk about this before but if you are a passionate creator if you are someone who's been working on cyberpunk 2077 for the past seven to ten years or however long it's been in active development, you're, you're probably highly invested in this project. You're probably thinking, you know, I spent so much time making sure that my part of this project was so perfect because we're trying to make a masterpiece here. We're trying to push the envelope forward. We're trying to change the script on what these massive next generation open world 
RPG uh, world building experiences can be. You know, we're trying to tell something new in gaming that hasn't been told before. This is your child. This is your art project. This isn't like your day job where you go in, you punch the clock, you do the computer work, you're half invested, you kind of resent the company, but they give you a paycheck and you can keep the lights on with that. This isn't that. This is like, I'm here because I want to be here. This is my dream. You know, I like, I think the example I used last time was like the animation industry, for, for example, is like notoriously like grueling where people are just working painfully long hours to get these these films completed and just the amount of like sweat and tears that go into making these projects so it's a massive labor of love sorry it's a massive labor of love and it's a shit ton of work and time and dedication and yeah some of these people have to take time out of their personal lives and don't see their families as much during moments like this where they're crunching but again it's if you are someone who is here working on cyberpunk 2077 of all games you are here because you want to be here. You're not here because you needed a job and you saw that CD Projekt Red was hiring. And you're like, I guess I could be a, a I guess I could be an environmental artist on a on a open world AAA uh, op, uh, at Western RPG. I, I mean, I I guess I could apply for that job. I was between I was between that and system analysis. I was between that and um, I was between that and administrative assistant. I'm so I'm so glad that uh, I'm so glad I went with this. You know, it's like like get a grip. It's like the people in these positions, the people at these companies, are here doing their work. So you got to think. First of all, you got to remove your regular like day job mentality away from this. This isn't like you go to your dead end job you hate and your boss is like, I need you to work every Saturday for the next six weeks and you'll get paid a little extra. And you're like, fuck, I hate my job. I don't want to do this. This is like, these people are already invested. It's like, this is your baby. This is the thing that you're going to stamp your name in the credits and put out to the world as a piece of art and allow people to in interpret this and criticize you and hold this over your head. And you want to make sure it's the best it can possibly be. So yeah, I think there's a lot on the line here for people to be like, yeah, I'm going to put in the extra hours and crunch and make sure this thing is done and polished and finely tuned in exactly the way I envisioned it because I want the world to be impressed by this artistic creation that we've been pouring over for all these years. Again, this is this is this is something you as a creative, you as a creator would be proud to do, I would assume. And that's not to say that there's no one at the studio who isn't bummed out by this. I'm sure there are. And that sucks, but again, on top of all this, these people are being extremely well compensated. So it's not like it's slave labor. These people are making crazy fucking money. You know, like game developers already make a crazy amount of money. And on top of this, they're even saying here that like these guys are making so much goddamn money, especially for this crunch. And again, it's like this is this is your passion project. If you're the kind of person who says, I can't handle working more than 40 hours a week, or I can't handle a job that sometimes is gonna be a little demanding of me. I can't handle a job that might make me cry or might make me frustrated or might make me just endlessly tired and exacerbate me or just totally like drain me like and 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 be so demanding of myself and my in my time and my attention and my efforts if you're the kind of person who works in the games industry you have to be that type of person again this isn't like a desk job this isn't like oh i'm i'm this isn't like i work for i work in the human resources department of a fucking company that no one's ever heard the name of and they do something or other with something, healthcare benefits, packaging, something, you know, this isn't one of those jobs. This is like, 
you made it. You work at CD Projekt Red. This is the the dream come true. You get to put your your mark on something like cyberpunk. Like this is massive. So I I'm just so tired of this narrative that like these poor super wealthy game developers who have like the job opportunities of a lifetime are just being forced against their will to slave away at these games so that ungrateful bastard gamers can just have these games in time for Christmas. Like that's just not what's happening here, man. And I'm just I'm just so tired of the conversation. Listen, man, listen, man, if you're if you're like if you're like empathetic with these people who have to work extra hours and maybe sacrifice some personal time and some family time in order to get this game out of the door, I, I don't blame you. I understand that. I, I appreciate and respect your your caring towards these people and their personal lives and the balance of, you know, their work life and everything. I get that. I can respect that. But again, this is the kind of industry where like you are the kind of person who's willing to sacrifice and dedicate yourself to this if this is what you want to do. Again, like the people who the people like the scientists out there who are like creating cures for polio and shit like that, like they're not these aren't the kinds of people who are like, yeah, we're looking for a cure for this for this fucking disease. And we're open, uh, our, our science lab opens at 8 a.m. on Mondays and closes at 5 p.m. On, on Mondays. And on Saturdays, we work reduced hours. And on Sundays, we're off. Like, that's not what this job is. That's not what these kinds of jobs are. These are jobs for people who are married to their careers. who People who, who live to work. Or, sorry, people who live to work, not work to live. Because this is their passion. They've pursued their calling. And this is what they want to do. And so... Again, I don't suspect that everyone who works at all these studios feels that way or is that type of person. But for the most part, that's what you're dealing with here. So don't just try to force your concept of like what a job is and what and what's appropriate for a work environment onto something creative. Because this is often how creative works are made. This is often how art is made. It's It's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of losing sleep. It's a lot of neglecting your personal well-being and the people around you. And I'm not saying it should be that way because it's always been that way. I'm saying that this is a natural side effect sometimes. And we need to stop being so fucking outraged and reactionary every time we see this story. Cyberpunk's a fucking massive game. Wait till you get your hands on it. It's going to be crazy overwhelmingly large and polished and extremely dense. So don't be surprised that in the last six weeks of development... People had to get their fucking heads down and really focus on full steam ahead. Let's get this thing out the door. That's okay. At the end of the day, when this game ships, I promise you this game's going to sell crazy well. It's going to review really well. These people are going to get crazy bonus checks and make shit tons of money. And this is going to be one of the most amazing things to tell people that you were a part of. One of these, like, in five years from now, the people who had to spend these extra Saturdays, spend these extra hours, getting paid all this extra money to work on this project, aren't going to be saying, I'll never forgive CD Projekt Red for making me lose those six Saturdays of my life. They're going to say, I'll never forget how amazing it was to be a part of the team that brought Cyberpunk 2077 into this world. I'm telling you right now, Cyberpunk's going to be just, it's one of those games that's going to be like generation defining, like uh, talk of the next 10 years. So you, you got to keep in mind to be a part of that is worth a couple extra shifts, is worth a couple extra hours, well worth the extra pay. So I, I just think you got you to gotta understand the type of person who wants to work in this environment 
is willing to risk is is willing to dedicate themselves to this, these projects. I'm not saying that it should always be this way or that these environments are always like this or that all projects have this moment, but this stuff's kind of par for the course, and we gotta stop freaking out like the sky is falling again. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, people who work in the games industry, you know, these pretty wealthy guys. These these people could just these guys and girls could just go pretty much anywhere they want and uh, and go do other jobs if they're looking for something a little more respectful of their work life balance. This is not a mundane office job. This is a work of love. This is art, and this is what goes into making the cake. I, I just I don't know what else to say. So that might be a little bit of a controversial take. I don't really care. I, I respect your opinion, whatever it may be. But that's how I feel about these things. And I'm really tired of Mr. Jason Schreier just trying to fucking constantly, constantly just shit on the games industry and be like, everyone's evil and everyone, everyone's a victim. And I have to, I have to just be this fucking crusader for the industry. So I'm really tired of Jason Schreier. And it's really weird because I used to, I used to like the guy a lot, but I just. Can't fucking stand the guy anymore. He just keeps getting worse and worse. And just, I mean, just uh, just watch the guy on the internet. He just shits on everyone. He blocks everyone. Constantly just trying to make enemies out of everyone. He's kind of the worst. And uh, so when I read stories like this, I don't say like, oh, what's this amazing expose about the games industry? I just go, oh, there's Schreier again, causing more unnecessary drama. Because that's what he does. So I don't know. You, you tell me what you think about that. I, I'd love to hear your... Thoughts and opinions, especially if you disagree with me. I'm very interested to see what you think. But ah, fuck, fuck that guy. All right, let's wrap up our with our final story here. Uh, so In Exile, and this is a really quick one because there's nothing to say here, but Wasteland 3 developer In Exile Entertainment has two RPGs in the works. Now, we already knew that they had one, but studio head Brian Fargo tweeted out this past week, it's, it's too bad that they take so long to make uh, as we're working on a wonder... Uh, sorry, as we're... As we're working on wonderful new RPGs, as in multiple RPGs. So, basically, he followed up that tweet by clarifying that, you know, the game is in its in the infancy of pre-production. Basically saying, yeah, we're working on a big RPG, which we already knew about, but we have another game we're working on. But all I can tell you is that it's in the infancy of pre-production, which basically means it's not even a game. This is like, you know, this is like... This is like someone thinking about having sex and being like, oh, is, is, is that pregnancy? You know, it's like we. This isn't this isn't a child just yet, okay? Like we gotta, like slow down. This is one of those things where like you see all these news outlets reporting on it. So, and I'm gonna put it in here just because I know it happened. But but this isn't really news because pre-production means nothing. This could be a project that gets shelved or gets canceled. But it's just at pre, at the pre-production stage, it's basically like confirming like, hey, this is something you shouldn't expect to see for another three to five years or whatever, depending on how games are made now. So we know that in Exile Entertainment at least for now, in some form or fashion, is working on two projects. We know that they're going in for a big AAA RPG and then this secondary RPG, which we don't know what it is yet, but stay tuned as we will find out in a couple of years. So that's that final comment or or final story here. Now, a couple little quick ones to get out, some news stories that are, uh, as we call important enough news stories to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. We got a couple games coming and leaving Game Pass. So first of all, the big one, Doom Eternal is coming to Game Pass, both console and Android ver- via game streaming. So you'll see that as of today, October 1st, the day that this podcast comes out. Um, so it's a massive get. Obviously, this has to do with the Bethesda acquisition. 
Super excited I waited because I remember when the game came out, I said I'm either going to wait for Game Pass or for the price to drop to 30 bucks. And I'm glad I waited because now it's on Game Pass and I cannot wait to get in on this. This is going to be a perfect Halloween season game. And uh, I'm super excited to play some more Doom as I really loved the last one. Uh, also coming to Game Pass this week, we've got Drake Hollow coming to PC. It's an idea at Xbox game. Next week on console, we got Brutal Legend uh, coming on October 8th, which is funny because I, I don't know how that game wasn't already on console since it's one an Xbox 360 console exclusive. It's an Xbox Game Studios game. And it's a double fine game, so it's all Xbox anyway. Forza Motorsport 7 is coming to Android, console, and PC. I didn't know that wasn't already on there either. Eichenfell coming to console and PC. It's an idea at Xbox game. Now, there's also a couple games leaving. So on October 15th, in just a couple weeks, about two weeks here, you got a few games leaving. We got Felix the Reaper leaving console and PC. Metro 2033 Redux leaving console and PC. Minute leaving console and PC. Saints Row 4 Reelected leaving PC. And State of Mind leaving PC. Now, a couple of those are, have only been on there for a little bit, so it's kind of unfortunate to see them leaving so soon, but there's some new games you can look forward to on Game Pass. A couple little tidbit stories real quick. We got in the Halo community update, 343 Industries has confirmed that test flighting for Halo 4 on PC is expected to begin before the end of October. The, the developer made sure to note that things may change uh, in the near future, but for now, fans can expect the flight to begin sometime next month or this month as of the time of this recording. And that will be the last game of the Master Chief Collection that has yet to come to PC, so that hopefully that means we can work on cross-play after that. Uh, and then next, we've got Xbox Series X is shipping, of course, with a 1TB SSD, um, but now reports are claiming that after you account for the operating system and all the things that come pre-installed on the box, only about 802 gigabytes of usable space will be left for your games and content once you set up your console. And that's not too unheard of. That's pretty normal stuff for a large portion to be taken up by like OS and things like that. But that now we have a clearer understanding of just how much storage we can be expecting when we get our Xbox Series X consoles. So uh, 198 gigabytes claimed from uh, from OS and uh, system files and things of that nature. Uh, next, we've got Arcane Studios, the developer of games like Dishonored 2 and Prey are likely working on a new AAA immersive simulator. As noticed by Twitter user uh, MaroNL3, there are several job listings on Arcane Austin and Arcane Lions uh, website. Um, some of the job listings are for positions at Arcane Austin mentioning working on our, our next AAA game. The listing also mentions Arcane's trademark immersive simulation, emergent gameplay, as well as calling for experience with Unreal Engine 4. So no surprise there, Arcane's working on their next game as they're about to ship their their PS5 exclusive. Um, so not super surprising there, but we'll learn more about that in the coming years. That could be one of our Xbox-only games. That could be one of our Xbox PC console exclusives. Let's uh, let's keep an eye on that one. Next up, we got Don't Nod has announced that it, is, that it is opening a new studio in Montreal to be led from... Former Life is Strange creator uh, Luke Bangdaus, I'm so sorry, and and Michael Koch, acting as executive producer and creative director, respectively. The company is planning on hiring for a first wave of positions by the end of the year. Next, Samurai Showdown, or Samurai Spirits as known in Japan, is a fighting game that is re that was originally released in 1993. At and at the Tokyo Game Show 2020, SNK announced Samurai Showdown is coming to Xbox Series X and S this winter. The next-gen version of the game is coming exclusively to Xbox Series X and S. And then lastly, uh, here, and by lastly I mean second to lastly, we've got Wild Sheep Executive 
Eric Barmack announced that the production company or that his production company is working with Sega and 1212 Entertainment to develop a live action film based on the Yakuza series. The film will be produced by Barmack, Roberto Grande, and Joshua Long. Barmack's production credits include Swedish thriller Quicksand, the Indian crime thriller Sacred Games, and the Danish post-apocalyptic drama The Rain. 1212 Entertainment most recently worked on the 2019 film adaptation of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, a series of horror children's books. The movie is set in the earliest stages of development, so don't expect anything about this to be told anytime soon, but this is probably announced on the heels of the success of the Sonic the Hedgehog movie released earlier this year that not only had an incredible runtime in theaters due to COVID-19, but is probably the only candidate for Best Picture this uh, year at the uh, Oscars. So that's pretty cool. And then lastly, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War has revealed its take on the returning zombies mode. A new story set alongside existing zombies canon, featuring cross-generation, cross-platform play, battle pass integration, and more. Check out the trailer on the Xbox YouTube page if you'd like a closer look at that. And that's going to do it for all of our stories of all calibers, guys. Now, I want to I want to go over the new games coming out this week, of which there are 14, according to Xbox Wire. We'll blast through these real quick as we've got Barlow's Dread Machine, which is basically just looks like a indie spinoff of of um, Bioshock Infinite. We got Projection First Light, which looks like a game where you just adjust the lighting on a paper mache project. I guess the fun there is trying not to accidentally burn everything. Then we got Return One Way Trip, where in which the lighting is so dark that I can't even see the fucking game. It's just like a black screen. And then we got Birthday of Midnight, which looks like a cute little Halloweensy game. I'm actually gonna read the description here. It says everyone's favorite fairy is back and ready to once again be launched into the sky, but as always, treacherous obstacles like spikes, circular saws, and plenty of other dangerous hazards are put are par for the course. To earn a perfect score, you must act. What what does this have to do with all the jack lanterns? What the fuck is this? Whatever. Well, fuck it. Uh, anyway, and then we got Commander 85, which looks like a game where there's a German Shepherd in someone's bedroom. Hopefully that German Shepherd is not the main character because it would be incredibly difficult to control a dog if you have to exist in this world where you're picking up objects and opening doors. Next up, we got Feather, which is a game where you fly as a bird, and so it should have been called Feathers because there are many feathers on a bird, you stupid game developers. And then we got uh, Inertial, Inertial Drift, which is like a play on the word initial drift, the like the anime series. So that's haha, very funny. Then we got Swordbreaker, which is like a game with like a sword. And then we've got FIFA 21, which is like one of those games about soccer. Um, but FIFA 21 is actually not even about soccer. It's about you play as you play as a, an empty stadium during a time of COVID, and uh, it's pretty fucking boring because nothing's happening there. And then we got Orange Blood. Which comes out on October 1st. This is one of those goddamn anime games, but it's in pixel art form, so it doesn't have to look too overly sexualized. Then we got Crash Bandicoot 4. It's about time, uh, which looks very good, but I, I don't think I'm going to spend 60 bucks on it. And then we got Star Wars Squadrons coming out October 2nd. I feel like this game's gone largely just un, undiscussed because people are so tired of Star Wars. And then we got Dragon La, Lapis, Lapis, which looks like some Final Fantasy Pokemon inner breeding bullshit then we got warsaw which is well we're not going to talk about the war and then that's it for all the new games coming out this um this week and we got our games with gold for the month of october guys new month new games with gold now this is really cool because they're obviously doing a halloween theme here so they're doing all spooky or kind of festive related games on xbox one you've got 
Uh, Slay Away Camp Butcher's Cut, which looks really cool. You can get that for the whole month of October. And then you got Made of Skur. I don't know what that means. It looks like some horror game, which is available from October 16th through November 15th. And then we got an OG Xbox game. We got Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy, which I haven't seen or thought about in so very long, so that's crazy. But I'll have to check that out. Available for the first half of the month. And then for the latter half of the month, you got Costume Quest, uh, which I'm so excited about. Xbox 360 game. That is a um, that's a double fine game. And I actually was planning on playing Costume Quest 2 for Halloween this year because I didn't want to buy Costume Quest 1. And only the second game was on Game Pass. But now that the first game is on Games of Gold, I can just play the first one, which is the one I wanted to play. So I will be playing that for sure. And guys, it's going to do it for our podcast. Be sure to download your spooky games. Be sure to leave me comments about if I offended you about the the work, the crunch in the games industry. I don't care. Just just comment. Just just talk to me, guys. Tell me what you think. Tell me why I'm right. Tell me why I'm wrong. And most importantly, get back to me on that question about IHOP versus Denny's. I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say. But that's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. See how even when it's a slow news week, we can still manage to squeeze about two hours of podcasting and see how that see how that works. Eric's going to play us out with a new song, guys, but I want to remind you, as always, to power your dreams.